Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I am Ben Flanagan, and it's time to recap WrestleMania 32. In fact, let's recap WrestleMania weekend. That includes the NXT TakeOver in Dallas. Joining me is a new member of the Rammer Slammer family, Daniel Wagner, who spent a lot of time in Tuscaloosa, is now in Cleveland. He's a huge wrestling fan, wrestling nerd, geek, whatever. I don't think he'd be too mad at me for calling him that. It's apt. But he's going to talk to me a little bit about NXT as a whole, but specifically the NXT TakeOver that featured amazing matches including what I think was the best match of the weekend, so we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to talk to the professor, Will Nevin, and we're going to recap WrestleMania 32 as a whole, talk about the highs and lows, what we loved, what we didn't like, in fact, what we hated about WrestleMania 32. But I assure you there's not much we hated. In fact, I think it overall was a good show. It was a little confusing, not much really changed in the way of big storylines. There's a lot to talk about nonetheless. But first, I'm going to start with our new friend, our new Rammer Slammer family member, Daniel Wagner. This is Ben Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am talking to a new member of the Rammer Slammer community and family, Daniel Wagner, who lived a a good while here in in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, here in the Deep South, but he's gone up north a peg, and you're in Cleveland now, Daniel. How's it going up there? You you warm? uh, It's like in the 40s and kind of drizzly. First of all, hello, all you geeks and nerds. (laughs) sit around listening to stuff about wrestling just like I do. Um, yeah, Cleveland, Ohio is a little drizzly, a little cold, um, kind of what it's going to be. It's supposed to snow this weekend, so awesome. <laughs> well, man, I, I'm glad to have you on here. I know you're a fan, and, and uh, I, I definitely wanted you to be a part of this, like you said, geeky, ongoing conversation about pro wrestling. And, and we, for whatever reason, care a lot about it as we get older and older. and And that's my first question here. You're a grown man. Why do you like wrestling? Well, I know that the first memories I have of watching wrestling would be around 1988-89. And it was watching a Mr. Perfect match. And something about the way it happened, I can't even remember who he was fighting. It might have been like Tito Santana or somebody. It was one of their, you know, typical baby faces. But it was the way everything was presented and moved and the way, like, I could kind of get what was going on. And, of course, at that point, I was completely dark on the idea that, you know, this is all, you know, pre-staged you know staged or whatever. But it's just something about it kind of resonated with me. And then throughout the 90s, I always kind of gravitated more towards heels. I don't really know why exactly. Um, but I started getting the old WrestleMania and old pay-per-view tapes from the video stores and watching Roddy Piper and started just really getting into, like, this complete jerk of a guy but was so, you know, captivating. And, you know, Attitude Era uh, was, hard, you know, hardcore. You know, it really wasn't until maybe the, mid, the mid-2000s the I sort of checked out um, I just it just didn't you know really interest me. I had other things going on, but you know, getting back into it for me, it's that you two guys when they're really good, 
can tell an amazing story and a story that you can't tell any other way. It's the only way, the only form that can tell a physical story that you can follow and you can get wrapped up in. Nothing better to me is better than the moment of your suspension of disbelief. And you'll and wrestling's one of the best is that sometimes you will get a moment where you forget that there is someone who's supposed to win. And that's beautiful. Like you, you can get captivated like you would as a child. And, you know, I'm a very much grown man and still watching it. And, I mean, I feel that as a wrestling fan, it's kind of like having an uncle that doesn't like minorities. It's not something you just throw out there immediately when you're introducing yourself to someone. No one's ever said, hey, Daniel Wagner, how are you doing? I watch a lot of wrestling. <laughs> but... You know, like when you get in a little bit and you meet some people in the community, you have amazing stories and conversations and such. And it's it's really, for me, it's, it's back, it's the community. And living up here that's got a strong independent scene, oh, it's, it's great. Like, it's just a, why do I like wrestling? I like wrestling because it's wrestling. I guess it's really the best. It's just, it's, it's wrestling. It's well, unlike any other thing. I mean that that's beautifully said and and look this is the WrestleMania recap show but I think a lot of what you just said and the way you described how you loved wrestling I think that's being reflected more so in the NXT developmental brand under WWE more so than we see at WrestleMania or at Raw and while WWE certainly has its moments NXT seems to really be connecting with the old school wrestling fans and people who do sort of gravitate towards that indie brand and in, in, in perhaps maybe love the ECW days. NXT has really got lightning in a bottle and is developing these amazing characters and storylines and, and most of all putting on great matches. And, and with respect to the women's triple threat match at WrestleMania 32 this past weekend, my favorite moment from WrestleMania weekend happened at NXT TakeOver in Dallas, and we can go in-depth on that, but I know that you have a lot to say about not only this past TakeOver, but NXT in general. Why is NXT right. so special to you? And, and, and we can get in a little bit more about the TakeOver, but what is it about NXT that is connecting with you? Well, it's... What they've done that's so great, and this will be Paul Triple H Levesque's greatest achievement more than anything else he did in the ring, is the creation of NXT. But what they've done is where in the past when Vince McMahon was looking for talent, it was always the biggest, the best physiques, the good looks. It doesn't matter that they can't really wrestle. We'll figure out a way to make people love them. What they've done in NXT is they've been able to pick the best of the indies, the best out of the different territories, men and women, the best from overseas, and they've cultivated a community of you're watching all-star wrestling every week, and that's just something you don't really – you can't do that in in WWE. You have all-stars, yes, but they're WWE all-stars. Here you've got guys like Cesaro that wrestled in, you know, I have a tape of him in Chikara, which is a Philadelphia promotion that's a little bit wacky, but him and Luke Harper wrestling a 
60, almost a 60-minute Broadway. And, you know, just going in depth, and you can look at people, you know, Dean Ambrose, who was Johnny Moxley, doing his CZW hardcore stuff, or, you know, Tyler Black, who was uh, Seth Rollins when he was the champion up here in AIW, just an awesome heel. All of these people, Sami Zayn is El Generico, one of the darlings of, you know, the systems. Uh, Johnny Gargano, who I actually talked to after the takeover, he competes from up here. Now he's wrestling down there. You have these guys that have gone through ROH. They've gone through AIW, CZW, PWG, all of these indie promotions and honed their crafts that when they get to WWE and they get to NXT, they're there. And it's dream matches. Seeing Finn Balor and Samoa Joe fight, it's a, it's a dream match. You know, Sami Zayn and Nakamura, that's dream dream matches that you you don't you wouldn't be able to see much less in a WWE ring but on any ring to me that's why NXT is important and why it's so good is that it's whereas raw and all most of the WWE stuff it's superstar and it's about the pageantry and all of the others with NXT it's about wrestling and it's a wrestling, you're right, it's a wrestling fan show. There's not as much done on the on the entrances. There's not as much done on promos. It's you get in there and you get over with your ability, not your gimmick. And that's important. Like, it's important that that still exists because when you're the biggest brand and when nobody else can touch you, you can do whatever the hell you want to because they're going to watch, and that's all you've got to watch. It's good that NXT exists. And, you know, I can sit there and talk. The Nakamura and Sami Zayn match is right now the best match of the year across any any formats. Um, I got emotional at the end of it, like – a true emotional reaction to watching what two guys had done because their story was so good. And even the emotion in Sami Zayn, knowing that's his last match with NXT, and you could see it in his face that he didn't want to go. And that's something that I've heard from a lot of people is that crowd is so ravenous and it's so intense, they don't want to go because it's never going to be as good. You'll get to Raw, and you'll end up going doing a show in Boise, Idaho, and people will sit on their hands, and they don't care about you, and they don't really care about any other stuff. They've got their guys. NXT, you can be the little, the undersized kid that really knows what they're doing and can do a thousand moves, and you're going to get cheered. You're going to get your chance and everything else. I mean, how, good, how much better could you get? To me, NXT is the best promotion going. I don't even consider it a part of the WWE at this point. NXT is its own entity. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that it's so good and so important that if you're not watching NXT, you're missing out harder than you ever could by just watching, you know, taking people like Bo Dallas, who was a champion down there, and turning him into a joke. You know, it's so good in the ring, but he gets up there and they don't know what to do with him. Or Tyler Breeze, who's great in NXT, and immediately he gets up there and he's a joke. I'm telling you, I mean, we're, I don't know if you talk about we're filming this, but um, the Vaude villains are uh, 
debuting. They will not get over. The Vaudevillains are dead, and they haven't even debuted yet. They have zero chances because that's an NXT thing. As good as Bailey is, I don't see Bailey ever having a chance because of the way the Raw crowd is so much different. Let me interject here for just a second because you mentioned that NXT for you is obviously a separate brand from WWE and, and maybe Raw specifically, but I mean, WWE is pilfering from NXT, especially lately. I mean, this past episode of Monday Night Raw saw the debut of Apollo Crews and obviously Baron Corbin after winning the, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. He he had a big moment on Raw. And then and obviously Enzo and Cass. Huge Enzo and Cass moment where you you say like the raw crowds will you know not necessarily reject them but i mean yeah they they might be a little lukewarm to guys like tyler breeze and the ones you mentioned but i mean look at the reaction enzo and well Cass got the other night well you also have to remember you can never gauge anything after that on the post wrestlemania that's true role. that's true but that because of the crowd, crowd there is ravenous and those people know nxt look at the first time Sami Zayn, when he did the match against John Cena when he got hurt, and how people were electric the entire yeah. time. Watch yeah. Sami Zayn's Raw debut, and people are going crazy. Then watch his next match, and people could care less because they're in a random town that doesn't doesn't get it. They don't know his pedigree, and they don't know they don't know him from NXT. It becomes it's difficult. When these NXT guys are in good towns, your Chicago, Atlanta, Philly, New York, uh, Cleveland, those type of hardcore wrestling towns, they'll get huge pops and they'll be they'll be mega in that area more than any of the regular WWE product uh, wrestlers. But it's just what I think is that it's hard and it's hard to necessarily gauge because if you look NXT's filmed on a sound stage at full cell and it's not big, it's a little bitty place they film and that crowd gets so loud when they where they did the um the takeover. That place sat like maybe seven thousand people that were there to watch it and it's loud the entire time. It's to me, you I think that you almost get spoiled by NXT because of how much the people love you. And I just think that the Raw, Raw is a completely different animal. There's a big roster. Raw is about to get way, way too cluttered with everyone that's about to come back. I fear that some of these guys that were great in NXT – are all going to get pushed into lower mid-card roles because what happens when you got to bring Cena in and when Seth Rollins comes back, the Cesaro's just come back. We, it, your upper is about to get so clogged that everyone else is going to go to the middle. And look, that's an issue with WWE and 50-50 booking that they've done for so long now that no one can actually climb out of the mid-card because they don't let anyone win consistently to build momentum. You know, it was even at you know WrestleMania. You know, AJ Styles loses to Jericho, and then now he's the number one contender. Like on paper, that doesn't make sense whatsoever <laughs> because you have no you have no momentum. So you know, I just think I just think that there's they WWE and Vince McMahon doesn't always know how to treat 
these characters and these wrestlers because it's not his guys. They're Triple H's guys and girls. You know, God bless them for finally realizing and recognizing that Becky, Charlotte, and Sasha are you know the three best that they've gotten, and possibly the, some of the three best wrestlers in the entire company. I honestly felt so sorry for Summer Rae because she had to have felt like in Jurassic, when Jurassic Park came out, all the people that did stop motion monsters, because she was instantly extinct. Like her era, like she's done because she won't ever be able to keep up. So I don't, I just think, I just really think that Vince doesn't necessarily know how to handle all of them or what to do with them on a very uh, crowded show. It's why I'm one of the people that's really in favor of a brand split at this point. Look, that is definitely possible and maybe a good idea, but you know, and, and it, it's probably getting a bit overcrowded. And yeah, it's, I'm going to hate to see guys like Apollo Cruz and, and Baron Corbin, and again Tyler Breeze and Bo Dallas just get reduced to permanent status on the mid card and, and maybe phase their way out of the company prematurely. You know, I love I love Bo Dallas, and I, I love the promos Bo Dallas was cutting. You know, before he was a part of this social outcast thing, whatever they're doing there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's hashtag social oh, Don't forget me. that yeah. we have to put a hashtag in front of every trending world on Earth now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, trending world of course. It's, it's weird <laughs> to find roles for them. And, yeah, when you've got the injuries, I mean, Randy Orton's another guy who, who's going to come yeah. back from injury soon, and that's going to cost somebody a spot, somebody who's been working hard. And, you know, I, I remember watching an interview recently with Neville and, and some guys talking about NXT and he, you know, has has made the jump, and you know, obviously he's hurt too, and hopefully will come back soon. But he made the comment that he missed NXT, he missed the juice of the crowd, and you know, I, I actually spoke to Bo Dallas in a short interview recently, and I asked him about that, and he obviously perhaps is, is you know, <laughs> speaking on behalf of the company WWE, but he suggested WWE is where you want to be, but you, like you said, you can kind of tell these guys and girls who are wrestling their last matches with NXT, you can see the sadness in their eyes and you can see the oh, connection yeah. that they have with the crowd and that they're obviously not, not necessarily regretting it, but it's definitely a bittersweet moment for them to make that transition. And you wonder if they'd right. rather stay. Well, and I think a lot of them, you know, yes, of course, because they would, it would be hard for them to, you know, sit there, and, you know, admit it. But you look at how many people that have left NXT in their last match are ugly crying in the ring. And it's because like no matter if who you were when you do your last match, that crowd gives you ultimate respect. When they know this is the last thing, it's all about you for that night. And yeah, you know, Baron Corbin's a, an odd one. I think he'll do great in WWE because he's a WWE style guy. Apollo Crews hopefully will work. He never completely got over with NXT, but again, he's an indie guy that he was going to have his built-in fan base. I think he has the look, he has the athleticism that he could do great things. God, I just want to think about it. It's like, it's just got to suck because look, with those kids, they're around each other 24-7. And they're like, all right, so when they go on the road, I just got to see the NXT show up here last month at the Agora Theater, which holds maybe 500 people, and people were stacked to the to the rafters. And, you know, it's an old, it's a punk rock venue. 
and they're putting on NXT, and the crowd is just going completely crazy at it. And even then, like, that was Sami Zayn's last road show, and everyone was giving him the thank you, Sami, and everything else. And you could see it right there, like, in his eyes that, you know, it's never going to be like this again. I'm moving up, and, yeah, I'm going to wrestle in front of 20,000 people every Monday, but it's never going to have the same vibe. You know, what was it a couple of weeks ago, you had Kevin Owens, Zane, I want to say Ziggler, they were all in a, a tag match. It was like everyone was going to be in that ladder match. And the crowd just completely died and started chanting, oh, yeah. this is boring and everything. Turned and I'm like, my God, this is, yeah, this is great wrestling, but you guys don't get it because you're, you know, one, crowds are now they're amped for spot monkeys where everything has to be a huge splash or, you know, has to look death-defying, which is good. I enjoy it, you know, but at times it doesn't really, you know, bode well. You look at someone like The Revival, Dash and Dawson, who I love, and I love their entire gimmick of, you know, no flips, just fists, and that they're old school, old school heels. I don't know if the WWE crowd would take them because they're ordained to like something like the Usos, a huge pyro and, you know, hyping the crowd up and everything else. Uh, yeah, I just think that it just has to suck. It has to suck so much to have your last time at Full Sail. And at the same end, those guys, every takeover, I would be so mad if I was doing, you know, like last year at SummerSlam, when they did the NXT TakeOver Brooklyn and closed. That was another time at the end of that Sasha Bailey match. I can't, like still to this day, watch that match without getting emotional because of what those two women did. And, you know, and they were showing pictures of Seth Rollins in the front row, like wiping tears. I would have been so mad every time they put a TakeOver on before my pay-per-view because they upped the ante so much higher. And a lot of those guys just can't do it. So, I mean, we could sit there with, you know, TakeOver. You had Jordan and Gable, just a great, you know, pure tag team. Dash and Dawson and them, they got time, did great heel work, good hot tags. It was the way you would see a tag uh, tag match traditionally go. And, you know, it was kind of like even watching a Midnight Express and, you know, Rock and Roll Express type and the way it was paced and the way the movements were and how everything that was done was done deliberately and not for a reaction. The fact that, like, Dash and Dawson aren't trying to get – they're doing – they don't want you to like them, where, you know, most people now want the cheers, even the heel. They're doing everything to make you hate them, whereas – Jordan Gable are just athletic freaks that are, you know, they're doing everything instead of flips and such. They're doing just amazingly perfect suplexes. And Nakamura, I don't even know what more you can say, honestly, about Shinsuke Nakamura. I just butchered his first name. Um, but, you know, with him and Sammy Zane just beating the ever-living crap out of each other for 30 minutes. And strong, like it's strong style. And they were, you know, demonstra demonstrating it. And really actually kind of set a tone from that match on because the Asuka-Bailey match 
was hard hitting. It was harder hitting than I've seen a women's match happen outside of Japan. Yeah. Where they were they were tapping each other. And what I've heard is that that's the way Asuka gets mad if you don't lay into her. If you <laughs> give her something weak, she's got you in the she you've got her in the corner and you're giving her some knees and the knees are just kinda you're just putting them into it, she'll she will tater you. Because she wants you to hit her so she can react to it. And she's going to hit you to react to it. And, you know, her and Bailey gave each other everything and more. To spend just a minute on this NXT takeover in Dallas that preceded WrestleMania 32, the American Alpha Revival tag matchup for the NXT Championship, it was a phenomenal match. The Oscar-Bailey match was a, like you just said, a terrific match. The main event was a lot of fun, even though it had all of, obviously, the interruptions because of the cut yeah. on Samoa Joe. I, so. I, you know, I was so impressed with Samoa Joe. I thought he honestly outperformed Finn Balor in, in that match, mm-hmm. but Balor was fantastic too. But going back to the nakamura Sami Zayn match, that just knocked me off my socks. And again, I'm, I'm still relatively new to NXT, and I'm getting to know it. And obviously there are worlds of, of pro wrestling beyond the WWE brand, which these guys are obviously vets of, and, and honestly, WWE and NXT are lucky to have them. And this match just delivered on every possible level you, you can imagine. What made this specific match in this half hour so special? Well, it uh, the, the very in, in the entrances, you knew it was going to be special. I mean, when you hear an entire crowd singing Sami Zayn's entrance song. And it's like from that moment, they're hot. And Nakamura's entrance, so awesome. Like instantly, if you didn't know him, you get that he is the most charismatic wrestler in the world with everything he does. It's the, it's semi-flamboyant, but still menacing. And, you know, well, one made it great, it was the crowd. That crowd never shut up. They never had a moment where all of a sudden it just got really quiet. They exhausted themselves with chants and cheers. The way those two complimenting each other with their speed and their ability, you know, in the first little bit of lockup where Nakamura knocks him down and immediately goes for a head stomp and Sami Zayn rolls out of it. And you're just like, okay, like they're going to go for it. You know, they're just, it was the physical. It was that Zany Zane hasn't ever really been known as a guy. He's smooth. Everything he does is smooth. And he's not really that much of a brawler. And you got to see that he can do it. He's adaptable. The little moment they had where they're standing in the middle of the ring and just laying forearms into each other hard. Like, it looked like they were trying to give each other concussions or legitimately knock each other out. You know, if they were if they were semi pulling them, I don't know. It looked like they were decking each other. The the way it really was, it was it was in the pacing and it told a complete story with no build up. There was no build up outside. These two guys are going to have a match, and they were able to tell like you were seeing Sami Zayn against this monster striker try and come back and gain something, having to modify his style and say that, like, if I can't beat you with mine, I'm going to beat you at your own game. You know, Nakamura coming in and just the way he flows around a ring and, you know, taunts with the crowd and 
uh, you know, he his, how hard he's hitting back at him. It was beautiful. It was kind of like a Japanese match. It was kind of like an indie match. It was not a WWE match, and that's where it where it was beautiful. I mean, my God, have you ever heard a crowd chant "Fight Forever" during a match? <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how good your match is, is that people don't want it to end. They want you to keep going because it was so powerful. The NXT Um, chants are fantastic. There were some really good ones during the main event. I love Joe's gonna kill you, and I love uh, let let him bleed, let him bleed when the doctors are pretending to Joe. I mean, the crowds are just so good. With one of my favorite, you know, the such and such is gonna kill you, chant is great. I love the Bailey's gonna hug you <laughs> alternate to it, which is again just a beautiful like spin on it that they'll do. Especially with Bailey, the songs that everyone sings, the Hey, we want some Bailey, great take on a two live crew song. <laughs> um the Hey Bailey, I wanna know if you'll be my girl. That crowd and look, there's no reason people should love Bailey. That smarky fans should like it. She's a perfectly the epitome of a white meat baby face but she's so good and that's why nxt is great because the nxt fans see through gimmick to greatness if you're really good they don't care like they want they want you and also that she comes off genuine whereas at times you know bret hart and Shawn Michaels when he would be a baby face and the other ones you could kind of tell that they were in the gimmick. You know, Bailey is who Bailey is. And it's the same thing with Sami Zayn and with Finn Balor and Samoa Joe and everyone else that is there. There's a realness to who they are. You know, that match though, Asuka, I was at the match where Asuka kicked the ever-living hell out of Emma and like they had to stop the match because she just pounded her in the head. And that sort of, like, set the mode. I love when they start the Oscar's going to kill you chant, and she'll sit there and roll her fists or her hands, like, agging the crowd on with it. Like, that's awesome little details in it. I must say, too, I've got a major crush on Oscar now. Didn't before. <laughs> but there's something about her. Like, as soon as that match was over, I ordered her a new T-shirt. I was like, I, I'm in. Like, I, I like, you know, it's, it's as... um friend of mine, John Azell, said I would he would watch her paint a room because she's so smooth and, you know, the way she does things. And with Finn, like, I think Finn Balor is the one wrestler in NXT that has the highest ceiling right now to be a superstar. He's super talented. He's a good-looking guy. He has, you know, the pay-per-view demon gimmick is great the body paint and everything else because it's completely different than him normally. The great entrance. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but when the light comes on, he does the hand of the entire crowd doing their hands with him. Yeah. Like, like at the sky. All of these kind of things that I think he could go in and you know be great. And I think he will when they launch, when the Bullet Club guys come over. I don't see why Finn Balor isn't with them since he was the creator of Bullet Club with um, Gallows and Carl Anderson. So, I, you know, maybe he isn't long for the place, but, you know, even someone like Samoa Joe, like how much I would give to see Samoa Joe and AJ Styles go. 
you know, Samoa Joe's the older guy. We we're talking about how great he looked. It felt like, you know, when you've got an aging basketball player and then randomly they'll put 50 on you and remind you that they are still great. <laughs> Samoa Joe is kind of in there. I've always wondered when CM Punk was signed, him and Samoa Joe had a great series in ROH, Ring of Honor, and that the things didn't work out where they were going to go, either both of them were going to go to TNA or both to the WWE, and they split. And I've always wondered if they stick together how good that era could have been with both of them going at it. Because, you know, they would just put on these hellacious physical matches. And I think that, yeah, I think Samoa Joe is kind of the best thing that they've got going down there and that he gives legitimacy. You beat Samoa Joe, it feels legitimate that you're good because he's so good. I don't know. I I just I just am going to hate it. Like, I every time I hear that someone's going to get called up, I get a little bit sad because I'm not going to get to see that person weekly in high-profile events. It's kind of the the crap of being a minor league is that eventually you got to make the majors. So, I mean, I know it's the goal, but if I was down there, I would probably leave kicking and screaming. Finn Balor apparently has been wanted. They've wanted him to come up for a while now, and he just doesn't want to go. And he's just been fighting it tooth and nail because he doesn't want to go to the main roster. Yeah. Just to yeah. stay down there. It makes sense. And, and look, I mean, NXT has done its part in, in selling me for sure, and I want to keep watching more, but <laughs> You're doing a hell of a job too, man, and it, it really makes me want to watch even more of this stuff. Make time on well, Wednesday nights. It, it's appointment television now for an NXT takeover on a big pay per view weekend. It, it's 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 not to be ignored anymore. No, and look, if I can give you some suggestions, or for anyone who wants to get into NXT and wants to see what it's about, go back. It's all on the network, of course, to the very first takeover. You'll have to go up to like 2014 and like the year. Sami Zayn versus Cesaro, best two out of three falls, is amazing uh, with the athleticism those two guys do. You go and watch Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch, and um, they had a fatal four-way for the title. It might be one of the best women's matches ever with physical. Like, they are throwing each other into steps and going crazy during it. Of course... Sasha Banks and Bayley, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, my top match of last year. Finn Balor and Samoa Joe from London is great. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff out there to just kind of look through and scour. Hell, Barry Corbin and Samoa Joe had great matches, um, which wouldn't really make sense. But Samoa Joe made Baron Corbin look really, really competent and good. What was it, Roadblock, Enzo and Cass versus Dash and Dawson? Yeah. Beautiful. There's a lot of stuff if you just go in there. Oh, freaking Kevin Owens and Finn Balor, any of their matches. Just beautiful, those two complimenting each other. But, yeah, dig in, you know, look in the little side thing, see who's wrestling, and, yeah, pop it in and just watch a little bit. It's no one that likes wrestling will ever be disappointed watching NXT. And if you are disappointed, you might want to reevaluate whether or not you actually really like wrestling because they always chant, this is wrestling. 
you know, it's kind of the thing where not all wrestling is good and a lot of wrestling sucks, but when it's good, it's great. NXT consistently is great. And you can't really ask for much more. Daniel Wagner, people can follow you on Twitter at the Daniel Wagner. Thanks for coming on, That's man, right. talking NXT with me. Let's do it again soon. Hey, anytime. I'm, you know, generally available and always looking to talk more wrestling. So, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Good time. This has been Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am now with the Professor Will Nevin. Dr. Nevin, how's it going? Going all right. So we're fresh off of WrestleMania 32 weekend, and I just want to get your take. We've had a few days to sleep on it. Give me what you liked and disliked about WrestleMania 32. Well, I think the big picture, uh, just the big picture takeaway from the weekend is that at least where main roster WWE programming is concerned, we didn't have a lot of change. I mean, going into WrestleMania, you know, you knew that Roman Reigns was going to be the top guy. Uh, you knew that, um, you know, most of the other big matches like Shane and Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, I mean, these were just kind of special attraction things that were going to go away. And they basically went away. So WrestleMania was generally a show about the status quo. And so, uh, you know, we'll get into the dislikes, uh, you know, here in a second, but, um, you know, the big takeaway for me is that this was not a show about change. Uh, this is a show about, like I said, basically enforcing the status quo. So the the thing that I really loved about the show, like my number one takeaway, uh, is uh, the women's title match. And uh, secondarily, you know, it was a great match. Uh, but secondly, they are dropping that goofy, stupid, uh, diva language and from now on we were having women's wrestling in the WWE and I think that's a great change moving forward. Yeah, totally agree with you and and I, I think that the women's championship match the triple threat match was was arguably the best match of the weekend. Uh, honestly, yeah. like I, I go to the NXT TakeOver and I, I get into this with Daniel Wagner in another segment where we talk about NXT but NXT TakeOver had some great matches, specifically the Nakamura versus Sami Zayn match, which to me was the best overall wrestling match of the weekend. But of WrestleMania 32, best match, I think, easily goes to the women's match. Yeah, and there was certainly this big kind of emotional feel to it. Everything else was kind of, I don't know, the, the stakes didn't seem to be as high there wasn't a sense of feeling or importance to a lot of these matches, but th there seemed like there were some real stakes in the women's match. And I think my favorite, you know, three or four minute stretch of wrestling the entire weekend was the submission sequence <laughs> that Charlotte, um, Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch did in that match where they just flowed seamlessly from submission to submission, to submission, to breaking a hold, to applying a different hold and, uh, from one wrestler to another, it was it was seamless. It was beautiful. Definitely, they're all great performers, and I'm guessing that this obviously leads to a Charlotte versus Sasha singles feud that'll probably last until SummerSlam thereabout. But what a great moment just to to make that 
very necessary transition from divas to women, just in terms of title and, and philosophy. And, and there was another great moment on Raw where all of the most of the women's roster got in the ring and celebrated the the big change and the new belt, beautiful new belt. is It's it's just good to see them listening for a change. Obviously, they they WWE is obviously pretty stubborn, and we'll definitely get into that here in just a few minutes about. Do you listen to fans or do you just kind of move on with the status quo, as you mentioned? But it's good to know that there are moments where they are hearing the fans and they are hearing the dialogue that's out there and they do make necessary changes when perhaps it's, you know, it, it might be a little late, but it's about time they did it. Now, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. And for me, this seems like a clear break in women's wrestling in the WWE because we are losing the Bellas. And I, I know some, some people like them. Some people like, I think, Brie more than Nikki or, you know, whatever. But for me, they were always roster fillers. They huh. sucked the oxygen out of the room. I hated, 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 hated Lord bless you, Roger Ebert. I hated their in-ring work. Uniformly terrible. Their their <laughs> promo their, their promo skills were awful. And I think, like I said, Bree was marginally Nikki. Or again, they're so bad they're interchangeable in my mind. And I, you know, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I, you know, okay. I don't. I don't think Bree brought a lot to the table in ring, but I think Nikki was actually good in ring and I'm actually sad she's not a part of this. I think she would have been either feuding with Charlotte or at least part of the triple threat. I think Becky would have been the odd woman out in in, in that scenario if, if Nikki was healthy. But I think she actually brought a lot to the table. I'm sad she's gonna have to retire if in fact that's true. Well um I, I certainly don't wish uh you know ill health on anyone. Um uh, it's it's Nikki the one with the neck injury, right? Yes. And uh, I think Bree is retiring to uh, to be with Daniel Bryan. So, you know, we can agree <laughs> to disagree when it comes to the Bellas. But it, to me, they represented more of the, hey, let's hire some, some models and put them in the ring and, you know, give them a match that's like two minutes and, you know, it's barely passable and we don't trust them to do, you know, anything over that. Uh, this is a nice break. Uh, we change the title, we change the talent, and we really move forward with really some world-class workers. And so uh, I think um, the legacy of WrestleMania 32 will be uh, the women's championship. There's always total divas, too, if you need your Bella fix. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, okay, that's, what else? That's not my show. What else did you like? Okay, so after that, kind of moving down the list, um, the Shane Taker match. Going into it, the logic out the window uh, doesn't make any sense. 46-year-old Shane versus 51-year-old Undertaker doesn't make any sense. And yet, I thought they told a pretty good story. Uh, you know, Shane did the insane spot that you knew was coming, and... By God, you know, if I didn't just mark out when he jumped off the cell, and again, that does it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not fair to the rest of the roster that he gets to just breeze in after seven or eight years and do this ridiculous spot, and then apparently breeze out. But well, did you hear that, that reaction on Raw from the crowd? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he can do that. 
maybe it is fair. It's it's like chain wrestling is is like chocolate cake. It's the, it's the chocolate cake of wrestling. You, know, you eat it, and it's not good for you, but it is delicious and it's fun to watch. And I liked the finish. I liked Taker's little patronizing head pat because I mean that's basically what Shane McMahon deserved—a little patronizing pat on the head. You know, it wasn't the cleanest match in the ring. I would have advised them going into it: do not try to do submission holds. This is not <laughs> why we're watching. This is not why we're watching uh, Shane McMahon versus Undertaker. I don't want to see either of you try, uh, you know, a triangle choke or something. But I can't argue with uh, with what they did. I was I was entertained, and looking back over the show, I probably would have put that or the women's match is your main event. I think if you had either one of those matches, you leave WrestleMania with a different feeling. But yeah, as far as highlights in the show, that was my number two. Sadly, it just doesn't seem realistic for a women's match to main event WrestleMania in 2016, but I, I do feel like they took the step towards the, the day when that is a possibility and, and I hate that it's having to move as slowly as it is, that in 2016 they're, they're finally replacing Diva with women. But I, I do think after this and, and the moment that they had and the talent that they clearly have on the roster, it's it's not an impossibility. I think it's feasible. And it's it's sad that we're having to use a word like feasible in that regard because these women are so clearly talented and are great workers, like you said, and put on the best show of all five hours of WrestleMania 32 and when they had the biggest attendance ever in the history of, of the event. So maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's time. Like I said, they're, they're taking that step at least. And I do like that. We have seen women close raw in recent episodes, not a lot of episodes, but it's happened in the recent past. So maybe we are making kind of a transition. You know, Bailey is coming. I mean, I don't think that's a, a big surprise to anyone. I'd say within the next two, three, four months, she will be on the main roster. If you do her story right as this cheerful, delightful, sweet, so so often in the past, the, the writers have written basically every female wrestler in the division to basically be catty and unlikable. And that's on them. You know, that's on the writers. But if you keep her as this pure, happy, virtuous character and tell her story for six months... Can you imagine the kind of pop that she's going to get when she wins that women's championship over a strong heel, whether that's uh, Charlotte or, you know, probably Sasha Banks? I, I think the money with her is, is a strong, dominant heel. But that, that would blow the roof as a, show, as a show closing moment on, you know, maybe one of your, your lesser pay-per-views. Uh, you could easily sell that show. Maybe. So, yeah, after Shane Taker, I think my next – Takeaway is uh, I, re- I really like The Rock. I-, I thought that was a nice moment. He came out, you know, I figured going into the show he wasn't going to do a lot just because, uh, you know, they, they basically all they did was hype him and they didn't say what he was going to do. And if you're not going to, you know, tell us what he's going what he's going to do going into it, it you know, I just figured it's not going to be much. But, you know, he got out there. He had a nice uh, segment with the, the attendance number. And then it was nice to see him in action for, you know, six seconds. And then he had a nice moment with Cena. And I thought it was a lot of fun. And I will contrast that to the other legends on the show. But I did enjoy The Rock. Give me Stone Cold doing stunners all day. 
over over any other legendary moment at WrestleMania. And look, I, I love The Rock, but the guy just milks the entrances, man, and milks the moments and, and stretches and bends segments out as far as they can go. He has certainly earned it. Obviously, everybody loves The Rock, but you know, I just I, I honestly kind of hated that they used it as another opportunity to make the current roster look bad, and more specifically, the Wyatts, who just can't catch a break. I know that the whole world was waiting to see Eric Rowan versus The Rock in a six-second match at WrestleMania. (laughs) But, no, I I totally agree in that it's always fun seeing The Rock. The only disappointment that I had, again, was that they sort of downplayed the current roster in favor of the Legends, and that's nothing new for WWE, let's be honest. But, you know, if if The Rock's going to be there at the biggest WrestleMania of all time in in a, you know, quote-unquote relative is is participating in the main event, how do you not tie him into the storyline? I just don't understand a prediction, not really a prediction, but I hope that I had had going into the, the pay-per-view was that The Rock would be involved in the main event and that maybe Reigns does make his big turn, which obviously did not happen, and he and The Rock become at odds, and then boom. If Reigns is going to be your guy, you might as well get a legend like The Rock on board, who I think is contractually obligated to be a part of the next WrestleMania, at least one more, and then you've got your main event for WrestleMania 32, a big money match. So sadly that didn't happen, but honestly, I'll take I'll take The Rock however I can get him, so long as he is not shaming Lana backstage on an episode of Raw. Oh, that was that was a rough segment pre pre Slammer days uh, that we would have <laughs> we would have very much been in uh, in agreement on. Yeah, we would have um, held their feet to the fire on that one. Yeah. I was going to bring this up later in terms of things that I didn't like about the show, but we'll talk about it now. I liked the Rock segment. I did not like Austin Michaels fully, just because I think in terms of of being selective about his appearances, it was a little bit beneath Stone Cold. I agree. Um, I agree with that. Michaels and Foley have been back time and time again. They haven't always been treated as importantly. But Austin, you know, I can't remember the last time he was on TV and it was not connected to, you know, a podcast appearance. I can't remember the last time, uh, you know, aside from, what was that, WrestleMania 30. He should be a big deal. He should be able to come out and cut a promo and it should be something serious. You talk about, uh, you know, the current roster getting buried. You know, look at the League of Nations, which has been basically stuck in the mud since the day they were formed, you give them this win over New Day and to give them a little credibility moving forward. And then you come out and you have, you know, a, a bunch of old farts come out and destroy them. <laughs> and I just thought that doesn't make any sense. And it's, it was beneath Austin. But, you know, it's always fun to see him give the stunner and, Yes. Oh my God, Rusev sold it like a champ. Oh yeah, I, I mean that that should go down in history as one of the all-time great stunners. I mean it was it was beautiful. But then you can also remember Rusev as his last WrestleMania appearance, riding in on a tank and being in a featured match, and how how low he has fallen, which is a shame. Which is a shame. Hey, man, you sell a stunner like that, I, I don't consider that falling too low. Not too low, anyway, <laughs> but, I mean, League of Nations is it's pretty low. But, no, I mean, Xavier Woods, he he, he sold the hell out of his, too. And, and you know, I, I totally agree with you. Stone Cold is arguably, maybe not even arguably, the biggest superstar in the history of WWE and professional wrestling. 
and that includes Hulk Hogan, right? And, and mm-hmm. look, they're in Texas for crying out loud. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin country. So I just don't understand that if Stone Cold is willing to come out and not only participate in WrestleMania, but do some ring work, actually. I, I didn't think we were ever going to see a stunner again just because of his back and neck problems. It just didn't seem like it was feasible to, to ever happen again. But we got two really solid stunners, in, in one of which, I you know, I, I loved the Xavier Woods moment, even though, you know, I think that match kind of buried New Day. And then, you, again, it's another moment where they bury the current roster in favor of a, a legends moment. But I just thought that the, the moment with Xavier, who is obviously such a student of the game, I just thought that that was so true to the Stone Cold character in that moment where it's like he has to get a stunner for this. And, and sure <laughs> enough, Austin Austin stays true to himself. And I, I think that was a great moment. But I just think if Austin is willing to participate like that, he deserves a segment like the rock guy where he comes out there and milks it for, for 15, 20 minutes and, and owns the crowd. Can you imagine if stone cold came out there by himself and cut a promo similar to what rock did? What a, what a great moment that would have been. Absolutely. But as we'll get into here in a second, this was already, you know, a a grande stuffed show. You know, it, it also depends on what Austin is willing to do. We don't know the negotiations. We don't know the back and forth. We don't know how much time he had to prepare. And you hear stories about how he's protective of his character. You know, there are things that he will do and things that he won't do. And I think he's a guy that's very cognizant of his legacy. And deep inside, he wants another match but knows it's it's not possible. And it's probably still kind of fighting over, you know, how he went out, uh, you know, prematurely. So it's probably very complicated whenever you try to get him into a ring. But like you said, I would have preferred to see him flying solo and not with this kind of random trio that was kind of thrown together. If the three of them had ever had any real association, I I could have seen it. If it was like Austin and Rock coming out together, you know, you kind of associate them as like frenemies. But it just it didn't make any sense. You know, it it didn't. Uh, you know, she- Seamus is out there, uh, you know, on the stick, and they're like, oh, there are just no, there are no three men that could ever challenge us, and then you have these random guys just pop out. But you know, it wasn't the thing I hated the most on the show, but it was certainly not a, a great takeaway for me either. So, is there anything else you liked, or do we, you want to get to the hate, hateful stuff? Well, I'll leave the the big NXT talk to your new expert, Daniel. You say. Yeah, Daniel Wagner. But I will say, you, know, you could write novels and spend hours talking about what a clinic of Sami Zayn and Shinsuke Nakamura was. Obviously, I love that match. But the main event to me was great, too. Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, if only because of that unintentional realism with the blood and the constant, like, okay, how do we get this cut to stop? And is the, <laughs> ma- is the match going to continue? And whenever you can bring some realism into this, this fake pageantry, soap opera in the context of you know putting that stuff in the ring making the ring stuff more realistic it's going to work every time and it's why for you know for decades you had wrestlers intentionally cut themselves to add drama to the ring and you know in 2016 you just can't do that for any number of various reasons but you know i just i really liked it and i like the finish being this kind of 
unpredictable thing that made, you know, Joe look strong in defeat. And I thought it was a solid match. And I loved all the drama and pageantry associated. So Zayn, Nakamura, all-time classic, but Balor and Joe right up there, too, as was the women's match on NXT. Definitely. Well, let's get into the the nitty-gritty here, what you hated and despised most about WrestleMania 32. The number one thing that you have to correct in the future, course correct, the length. My God, it was self-indulgent, that show. I have no real concept of how long the show was. Like, when did the pre-show start? <laughs> uh, what was that like? Was it 4.30? Yeah. Yeah, it was right after church got out. You know, it starts on the network, and then they go simulcast on USA for an hour. And then you get the main show that's supposed to be four hours, but oh, surprise, we you know, randomly tack on this fifth hour to the end of it, and it just dragged. They have to get it in their mind that more does not mean better. NXT TakeOver, tight, compact, two-hour show that universal critical acclaim, like start to finish, that was a great show. WrestleMania had some definite highs and lows, and, you know, it's not about being a participation trophy. It's not about getting every wrestler on the card, you know? It's about producing the very best show you can, and the very best show is not a show that is six hours long. So stop. Get an editor. I think four hours is a gracious plenty. I don't know why we would need anything more than that. So, yeah, that was my, my biggest negative at WrestleMania weekend, just the sheer enormity of that show. Wow. So it wasn't Roman Reigns walking away with the belt clean. I had prepared for that. I had I had made my peace <laughs> with that decision. But, no, I mean, you, you didn't have any qualms with the link? For sure. And, and, honestly, I think it starts with the pre-show. Build your card. I mean, make it about the matches and add, add those matches to the show. Just make them a part of the official show. It was sad watching bits and pieces of Kalisto versus Ryback and the place was not even half full yet. I mean, it was, it was weird to be honest with you. It was, it was, I felt bad for those guys and you know, they put on an okay match and I, I just wish that the matches were just part of the actual show. I wish there was no pre-show. I just wish it was all one big, one big WrestleMania show. And, you know, I understand and it's a huge spectacle. It's their biggest event of the year. You know, this was that their biggest event of all time from a from a attendance record standpoint, but you know, so I, I get making a big day out of it, but I don't know. I think you should just focus on the show itself and making it as good as possible. Again, building the quality of the card as, in as many ways as you can, not letting segments drag on the way that they do. And, and it should be about the matches and the storylines, and it should sort of have that NXT philosophy where you keep it tight and your focus is all on the matches and telling stories in the ring in a way that, that satisfies fans and, you know, lose the panel. I don't like the panel. I like Renee Young and, and Booker T, but I, I don't care for the panel. I honestly wish they would go back. If you want to give Renee Young a job on WrestleMania, let her bring back the, the Lord Alfred Hayes, Mean Gene Okerlund backstage interviews and promos before and after matches. I'd, I'd rather see that than a fake panel analyzing the matches. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned the, the Kalisto-Ryback match. That that was too bad, you know, seeing those guys in basically an empty stadium for a lot of it. And, it was you know, a final match. Yeah. And one of the better stories that they had told in the build-up to WrestleMania, I mean, they didn't focus a lot of 
time on it, but it was simple. Like, you know, Ryback's this arrogant bully, and he says, you know, big guy beats a little guy every time. And, you know, the story they're telling is, uh, no, Kalisto is a, is a talented wrestler, and you are a dumb, arrogant meathead, and you will lose. And it was a natural conclusion to that story. So, you know, it wasn't the hardest match to predict. But, you know, it does seem that they were getting sort of short shrift there at the, the very beginning of the pre-show uh, in front of that really tiny crowd that was, of course, had so much trouble getting into the building. But, yeah, they they had all sorts of trouble getting people into the building. Um, I, I think their, like, their wireless ticket scanning went down or something, or their, their bag searches were taking a long time, or maybe whatever it was. Turning uh, away too many people with money in the bank briefcases at the gate, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, my second kind of negative takeaway uh, was the championship match. I didn't necessarily dislike the finish. I mean, of course I disliked the finish. But, <laughs> I, you know, I saw it coming. I, I was I was ready for it. I made my peace with it. But it was a plotting match. There wasn't necessarily a lot of drama in it. And, I, like, I started that match with a bad taste in my mouth just with that goofy self-indulgent Stephanie McMahon intro yeah. that made zero sense from a storyline uh, perspective. I mean, she is an evil CEO playing some sci-fi character. I mean, that, that makes zero sense. No, why it makes why as would much, she do that? It, yeah, it makes as much sense as a Terminator Genesis-themed entrance at WrestleMania 31 last year, or, or whatever entrance Triple H does. Yeah, if you want to talk about self-indulgent, I mean, this guy's entrances are strange, to say the least. But I don't know. You know, the match itself is just kind of what everybody expected. There was no twist. There was, the Rock was not involved. Rollins obviously did not make his big comeback. Reigns stayed a good guy. It was exactly what people expected, and in a way – it was kind of a twist that nothing happened. Yeah, the reverse twist. I think that lack of any kind of real development really colored the perception of WrestleMania as a whole. If you do that Reigns turn, I think you know everybody's maybe raving about WrestleMania. Or if you, I don't know, do something more interesting and more creative and less kind of paint by the numbers with that match, maybe you, know, you get people talking about different stuff. But the in-ring work was, it was again, kind of slow and plotting. And, you know, like you said, there were, there were, <laughs> the surprise was that there were no surprises. Same thing going back to Shane Undertaker. You know, there was some idea that maybe you have John Cena running in on that match. And by and large, this was a f show free of real surprises and shenanigans, uh, which no. probably factors into a, a, a dislike. Certainly, as compared to, to last year, you had that big surprise Rollins cash in, and uh, that gave the company a good, you know, shot in the arm and some buzz moving forward. But here, you know, humdrum, so so. Yeah, you just wonder what's the play there. You know, what what are they getting at? And yeah, all, any of the surprises that we saw on Sunday night, they just kind of felt out of place. They didn't. They seemed mismatched with where they ended up, which segments where they appeared, like, again, The Rock not being a part of the main event, John Cena not being a part of the Undertaker match. I mean, it, it was it was very strange. I agree. But, you know, focusing on the main event, the aftermath anyway on Raw, I mean, he got booed 
big time in in Jerry World. A hundred thousand people booing this this big Reigns moment. They doubled down on it on Monday Night Raw. I mean, it was ugly, and it was halfway interesting for about a half second during Reigns promo where he absorbed the boos, laughed them off, and said, "I'm not a bad guy." I'm not a good guy, but I'm the guy, and just took the booze as they rained down upon him. And that was an interesting moment, Reigns. And I think that a lot of fans, even who hate Reigns, kind of their eyebrows raised just a little bit, but I don't know if they're going to capitalize on that. I hope that they go back in that direction where Reigns is this arrogant guy who doesn't care, doesn't care about the fans, is going to embrace being that company guy just because it is the status quo and it is what it's meant to be. And he has been tapped by the hand of Vince McMahon, but I don't know. I I still think they're going to play it straight. And at some point they'll figure it out maybe when it's too late. Well, as I Twittered, you know, looking at a a matchup with AJ Styles and I'm curious to see how they forward this on SmackDown. Reigns against Styles is a de facto heel. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, the the best way to make him look good in front of the booing fans. You know what? Let's put him against the, the most beloved smart wrestler that we have on our roster. That'll make people cheer Roman Reigns. <laughs> and so uh, I, I think, you know, he's going to just play off as basically himself, which is, seems to be kind of a sneering jock that's too cool for the room and, you know, what have you. So... It's it's not the full dastardly reigns that I'd like, but a de facto heel is a de, you know is is a heel nevertheless. So you know I, I think fans are going to be perfectly content uh, moving forward in in a program against Styles, being able to cheer Styles. You know you'll have that that reigns crowd, whatever small percentage that is, that cheers him and adores him. And I don't conceive of any of those people booing AJ Styles, but maybe they will. I mean maybe. The kids will not like a smaller, more energetic, high-flying guy. I don't know. But coming out of WrestleMania, I mean, there were rumors before that it would be something like uh, Reigns and Ryback or Reigns and Wyatt, the stereotypical face-heel matchups. And I will gladly take Reigns styles any day over a lot of that other stuff. So coming out of WrestleMania, I think I like the setup more going into it. So... What are you going to do? So one of the biggest disappointments on the show that I didn't necessarily see coming was the Lesnar-Ambrose match. You know, they hyped this up as an important match, and they treat it basically as a throwaway. It didn't have a lot of time on the show, and Ambrose, you know, they told the story going into it that, hey, Ambrose is this, this plucky underdog that has no chance against Lesnar. And Lesnar beat the crap out of him, beat the crap out of him pretty good. And there just didn't seem to be a story there. It was like suplex city porn. And I mean, that's, <laughs> that's fine. And I can, I can get behind that, uh, when it's, uh, when it's against, uh, you know, like John Cena back at that SummerSlam match, which is still one of my favorite matches of all time. But against Ambrose, I mean, it just seems like, you know, Ambrose is going to be on your television show. You know, for the next you know fifty weeks, Lesnar is going to be on there for five, six, seven, eight, maybe. So I think it, it did a real disservice to Dean Ambrose, you know, a guy that the fans enjoy, that has a real connection with the fans, 
And they didn't do anything for him. They didn't make him look stronger. They didn't tell a good story. They didn't set him up for anything coming out of, you know, WrestleMania. The match would have been a lot worse if it had ended with some, you know, some goofy Wyatt family run in, which is, you know, a popular rumor going in. But it's definitely a miss thanks to, I think, the harm done to Dean Ambrose. You know, I I agree with you in that. I I do think that there were no stakes, really, in that I think they did take the shine off of it and that the, it seemed very short and it definitely was it was 13 minutes long which was which was shorter than a bunch of the other matches that night i mean including obviously the women's match and aj styles and jericho and, and a couple of others and you know that's fine but like you said they build it up as being one of the important matches on the card okay we'll treat it that way you've got two of the biggest stars on the roster the most beloved full-time guy on the roster and, and Brock Lesnar, who everybody likes, is one of the biggest money draws in the company. And and yeah, there is a big build up and, and I, I think compared to the build up, the follow through was disappointing. But in retrospect, going back and watching the match, I think if this is a match at like Battleground or Extreme Rules or something, we walk away saying, Wow, that was a hell of a match. They put on a great show. This is WrestleMania, so obviously the stage is as big as it gets, and people expect epic things to happen and big moments and maybe something to happen with Ambrose. And like you said, I, I wouldn't say he, he chopped out to Brock necessarily, but you're right. Brock walked away looking dominant. And, and while Dean, I don't think Dean necessarily walked away looking as weak as maybe a lot of people seem to think that he did. I just am, am waiting for Dean Ambrose to break through as a guy who who can win a big match in that he keeps losing these, these you know, big-scale matches at these big pay-per-views, whether he's main-eventing them as a placeholder when guys like Reigns and Rollins and Bryan are out, or if he, you know, is not mid-carding it necessarily, but isn't obviously main-eventing and is going up against a guy like Brock Lesnar, who the company obviously has much more stock in. And, and, you know, you hear these people talk about these rumors that Vince and company don't think Ambrose is going to be the guy and they have reservations about giving him that much leeway. And, you know, that's on them, but I hear the crowd when he comes out on on Raw or on these pay-per-views. Everybody loves him. He is easily the most popular among fans right now. And and like people have said, his reactions consistently are the closest thing that we've seen to to somebody like Stone Cold Steve Austin in a long time, just in terms of somebody who connects with the fans. And yes, I agree that you, I think he put on a good show in that match in a vacuum, perhaps. I do think that ultimately it, it continues to do a disservice to his image within the WWE. Absolutely, and you have to view this match in the the long term big picture problem of and of of Ambrose. You know, this guy has lost program after program. He lost the program with Rollins. He lost the program with Wyatt thanks to an exploding television. Um, <laughs> I don't think we got a real satisfying ending with um, his feud with Kevin Owens because both are kind of moving constantly in different directions. And you know, Lesnar's going to go on to something else and. Ambrose sold the beating on Monday, non, didn't appear on television, and so we don't know what's going to be next for him. So it's it's really kind of a shame. And that's, that's, so many guys uh, looking at the roster, you can think of, well, geez, that's kind of a shame. You know, he's in that spot, but such is life for Dean Ambrose, I guess. Finishing my, my, my dislikes uh, on the card, I'll sort of conclude, speaking of Kevin Owens, and we can hit both of these together. I did not like 
really the multi-man matches, both the Battle Royal and the ladder match. I think it's fine for Zack Ryder to win that ladder match, but you could sense that uh, we don't have a long-term investment in Ryder. Oh, yeah, he could probably you know drop the title tomorrow. Lo and behold, he drops the title <laughs> on Raw. And I think this is a bigger complaint with these kind of ladder matches. I think we have just, we've hit a limit. We've reached the top, so to speak, in that I think we're just getting diminishing returns at this point. And there are just so many, there are only so many times you can ask a guy to smash into a ladder, to fall, you know, 15 feet to the mat or to do all these things. And what are we getting out of it? I mean, I remember distinctly two spots from that match. Zane flying through the ladder out of the ring and Owens taking that nasty looking move on the ladder that you know basically took him out of the match. Outside of that, I don't remember anything else. And maybe um there was Stardust, I think, going going Centaur through the ladder. Stardust. It was nasty. But in the context of a seven hour show, I mean it's it's really kind of a shame to ask these guys to to do all that and then it just basically evaporates. So I, I don't like that match as a way to just get everybody on the card. I didn't think it told a particularly good story aside from these, you know, crash and burn things. And I don't want WrestleMania to be a yearly, oh, well, here's our Daniel Bryan Memorial 18-man ladder match for the Intercontinental title. Like, I don't want this to be something going forward. Let's stop it now. No, I agree. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I thought they put on a, a great show. You know, I, I think it was fun, and the, the spots were just, they were impressive, but they were often just gruesome and, and scary. And, yeah, it's like you have an injury problem with WWE, so, you know, how, how do we how do we face this? Let's stick seven guys in a ring with, like you said, these steel ladders and let them just do horrible things to each other and, and just hope for the best. And look, there was a surprise that Zack Ryder won, and that was an interesting way to start the show, but it made no sense. I thought the biggest loser of WrestleMania 32, honestly, was Zack Ryder's dad's cowboy hat that just <laughs> just didn't didn't play. So I felt, I felt bad for that. But no, look, my biggest beef with it specifically this year is like, look, Kevin Owens is was the Intercontinental Champion. It's almost like they stripped him of the title going into that match. Like, why does Kevin Owens? have to put his title up against six other people, why doesn't Kevin Owens get to walk to the ring wearing his own belt in a match where he is defending that title? It was like he was just another everyman for himself fighting for his own belt. It just I, I think it devalues the belt. Again, this was a big problem that people had going into WrestleMania 30, 31, where, I mean, the Intercontinental Championship doesn't matter anymore, so let's have this ladder match and let somebody important like Daniel Bryan win it so that people once again care about what was considered the second most important belt in the company and something that needed interesting storylines and pushed these top mid-carters into the next level. I don't see it doing that, obviously, with a guy like Zack Ryder winning and then Miz just happening to win it, you know, not 24 hours later on Raw. What does it mean for the belt now? Obviously, not a whole lot. So that's my beef with it. Well, the the quickest way to devalue your titles, you know, you got you got two things you can do. You can book, you know, really rapid title changes, and then you can book the title on lower card wrestlers. And they've done that with both the U.S. title and the IC title. John Cena, you know, busted his hump for a year 
to make that U.S. title really mean something. And Kalisto is fine. I, I don't have anything against him, but he's not going to be uh, a main event wrestler. The IC title, you know, that went from Ambrose to Owens to Zack Ryder to The Miz. I mean, that's not really a title that, that you think could conceivably main event raw or have a nice spot on a pay-per-view it's just it's like why do you, why do they do these things you know you could you could make these secondary titles a focal point of your show like they did with the u.s title and john cena and for a long stretch of time the u.s title open challenge was a great thing each week you know you have a lower card guy come out and give john cena a really great match and of course you understood basically that cena was going to win i mean that was kind of the gimmick but his matches with cesaro you know, his match with Owens, his match with Sami Zayn. Like, those were all great television moments or, and, you know, pay-per-view moments when you start talking about Owens. But what they're doing with both of those titles now is just a real shame. And then I'll I'll kind of finish up my thoughts here on, on WrestleMania with the Battle Royal. Now, I like having the, the, the comedy spots in the Battle Royal. I liked how we moved this year the comedy spots from the Royal Rumble to the Battle Royal. That's great. The match itself, it's fine. You know, I, I like its positioning on the card. It's kind of a, okay, let's take a breath. Uh, let's take a breath. Get up. Get something to eat. But what doesn't make any sense going forward is that you can't have a comedy Battle Royal and then book winning it as some type of achievement. And so I don't get this idea that, oh, oh Baron Corbin you know, did this great, impressive thing and won the the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal against Shaq and Tatanka and DDT. <laughs> and it's, it's from a from a storyline standpoint, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's probably my big complaint with the Battle Royal. I like the comedy. I like having Shaq. I like the idea of, of Big Show and, and Shaq in a match next year. I, I think WrestleMania is a great place for some of the the lighter kind of comedy and, you know, celebrity appearances. And I can't wait to get Shaq in a program with Big Show and having it in Orlando next year makes perfect sense. And God bless them for, for setting that up. But I, like I said, you can't book the win to have any kind of importance given the people in that match. So I don't get really what they're doing with Baron Corp. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, it's good that they're pushing a new young star into WWE, but it's it's an interesting choice, and yeah, you know the battle royal this year. People talk about it, you know, not having any sort of importance or anything, you know, to the to WrestleMania specifically. But it really felt like filler this year. I mean, it was like, wait, there had like, I, I guess it was the Undertaker match, you know, with the chain match was happening, and we're thinking, wait, there hasn't been a battle royal yet. Like, what's going on here? Like, this is towards the end of the show. I mean, is it is it like the quasi intermission? Of, of WrestleMania, I guess, before these last couple or this last match, I guess. Okay, fine. But yeah, the Shaq moment I thought was pretty funny, and you know, when the whole when the whole you know ring full of guys is is pushing him out of there, that was neat. I like went to the kitchen and came back and saw Tatanka in the ring and thought, what is going on here? <laughs> Why is that Tatanka? What is happening? It's interesting how they bring back these these old school wrestlers, you know, just randomly sometimes, whether it's for a Royal Rumble or for the Battle Royal. I actually don't mind that and thought that was kind of fun. It's fun to see a bunch of guys in the ring at once, and it's interesting to see them push uh, a new young star or somebody they hope will will you know reach that level. But it just seems like kind of a slug getting there sometimes. Yeah, and I was 
perfectly fine with this, like I said, the more comedy aspect, especially if we keep that stuff out of the Royal Rumble, because there's this idea that, you know, every year the Royal Rumble is going to have stakes. I mean, this year, you know, had incredible stakes. I mean, it was for the championship. And I think they shied away from, you know, your Tatanka entry into the Royal Rumble because, you know, that was a match that the winner was going to get the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Right. So conceptually, the matches are basically the same between the Rumble and the Memorial Battle Royal. So if you want to keep this on WrestleMania, let's make it the yearly kind of spectacle. Like, uh, what was that, WrestleMania 2000, where they had the, like, the gimmick Battle Royal? I mean, this could be the gimmick battle royal moving forward. You bring back some of the some of the old mid carters. You, know, you have these kind of fun spots. You yeah. have the the Drew Carey spot, and you get all <laughs> that kind of silliness out of the Royal Rumble. And you make this you know your intermission lighthearted match. And again, that's fine. You can make it like the Legends Battle Royal, and it's all about who's still got it, you know. And it could be. Mm-hmm. A lighter moment where, yeah, Tatanka, he's still got it, or no, DDP, you know, like there there could be a fun moment like that. I personally think the way that they could make the Battle Royal interesting is give it give it some, just give it one stake, right? Like, let the winner be like, let the winner draw number 30 at the Royal Rumble the next the next year, you know, like give it a condition that makes a lot of sense. Or Or you could, you know, even spin it forward, you could make it for a spot in the Money in the Bank match. Yeah, absolutely. Like make it make it important. It's pretty pretty basic principle of storytelling. I, I don't understand. Like I mean, like it just happens and you pay attention to this guy just because he's the last guy. Okay, well, where do we go from here? I mean, is it just going to be uh, you know, are we just starting from scratch with Baron Corbin after his run in NXT? I mean, what where do we go from here? Why should I keep watching this guy? Who is he? Should I just wait for his his meaningless match against Tyler Breeze on the following Raw and, and hear him cut this promo and stand next to the, the Andre title? Like, wh- what sense does this make? Why should I care? And I, I think that's sort of what they're losing sight of. Why should we care? Oh, what a what a telling thing that was to have a, Apollo Crews debut on Raw by squashing Tyler Breeze. Oh, okay. So who is, who is Baron Corbin? Who, who did he who uh, job to that- him? That was uh, no he uh, that was a like a double count out against Dolph Ziggler. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's right. I knew it. I, I knew that it was an NXT call up who quickly diminished the very recent NXT call up. And Tyler Breeze, poor guy, ceiling has been reached. Unfortunately, it seems, which is a shame. But yeah, that was that was a weird decision to do the Baron Corbin Ziggler, and you know, kind of safe count out finish when you had Ziggler who jobbed to um, Slayer or like the, at the beginning of the social outcast like he, he lost to one of those guys oh lord I mean if it's not Bo Dallas then what are you doing <laughs> friend of the show and friend of uh, uh, friend of AL.com That's Bo right. Dallas <laughs> well cool man anything else I think that's it I think I'm marginally more excited after Monday than I was after WrestleMania, just because I think Reigns and Styles has some interesting place to go. But I could watch SmackDown and be less excited, so we'll see. Will Nevin, follow him at Will Nevin, read his stuff on AL.com. The Professor, Dr. Nevin, thanks for talking this over with me, man. Okay, my pleasure. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. 
Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. Hi there, I'm Dave Willis, the crying wrestling fan from Tosh Photo and YouTube, and you're listening to Rammer Slammer right here on AL.com. Let me tell you, Rammer Slammer, it'll still be damn it.